I took the template business plan of a toy maker because that was the closest thing that I thought I could find to being an artist. Hello and welcome to Arts In, also known as AI, the podcast produced by Creative Vanillas. I'm Barbara St. Clair, the host, and I am here with Kerry Jadis today, who is a multi-dimensional artist. I think I'm most familiar with her work as a painter, but she also is a muralist and a sculptural collaborator as well. So Kerry, welcome. Hello, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I was looking at your biography and your artist statement, and of course the intriguing thing that jumps out is that you studied to be an electrical engineer and were a professional electrical engineer. Yes. So how does one, how does one decide if they're an artistic person, decide to go into electrical engineering and then decide to jump out of electrical engineering and back into art? I've always been a maker since I was very young. And I think that engineers are certainly makers and there is, you know, a need for creativity and being an engineer. And I always felt drawn to that, that side of, of being in school, the mathematical side, the physics, the engineering. I always thought I was going to be an artist. You know, from the time I remember making my first drawing, I, I was four years old and I sat at the table and colored all of our Christmas cards that my mom gave out for Christmas. And she must have made a really big deal out of it because I remember thinking, wow, I've never seen like mom so excited about anything I've done before. So I continued to draw and, you know, I'd make the family Christmas cards and I was convinced, you know, by age 10, I just knew I was going to be an artist. It's funny, we recently opened up the trunk of treasures at our, at my parents' house and went through all of my old drawings and I'm always this artist who has some sort of obstacle and like all these little stories that I make for school. You know, I went to Gibbs High School at PCCA, Pinellas County Center for the Arts. So that was just perfect for me. It was, I I felt like I was Harry Potter who had found Hogwarts. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I just felt like so out of place so many times and then these were like my people, my tribe. And even today, I've talked at many high schools and I've done like the American teach-in. And I was like, yeah, these, these are still my peeps, you know. <laughs> you know, you've got the kids with the nose rings and the mohawks and just don't quite think the same way as everyone else. And mm-hmm. so yeah, Gibbs was great. And I felt like that was, you know, definitely what I wanted to do. I had every intention on going to art college. And then something happened to me my senior year where I just had this feeling like I needed to be practical. There was things that I wanted in my life that maybe being an artist wouldn't provide for me. So, uh, you know, when you're 18 years old, you're invincible and there is no such thing as time and you're never going to get old. So it just seemed like, okay, well, you know, maybe I should do something else. And um, I always really enjoyed math and science. And I had um, things happen in my life where I really needed to make a good living. And that seemed like a good option. So, you know, went to school, got an engineering degree, graduated at USF and got a job in St. Petersburg, actually. I immediately got a job as a design engineer engineer, which mm-hmm. is, was really exciting for me because usually you start out doing systems or something a little less vital to the company. 
So I kind of got thrown into the fire and started working as an engineer, as an RF engineer, which was what I, I primarily specialized in and was interested in in college was RF engineering. And that is a branch of electrical engineering that deals with antennas and radio frequencies. Just was super excited about that. I really enjoyed it, but I had like kind of this growing sense that I just wasn't really right for me. I liked the work and I, I was really interested in what I was doing, but this is what I usually call, you know, like the day of enlightenment or also the sandwich in the car day. I always had this feeling like I was an artist and the people that I worked with just really didn't know who I was. So you <laughs> kind um, of like I was doing something, but I wasn't really one of them. So back to that Harry Potter thing. Yeah. The sandwich in the car day, it was a really cold day, like like one of those cold days where it's so hard to get warm that I went out to the car to get my lunch. I had packed a sandwich and the sun was shining in my car, so it was kind of warm. So I just decided to stay in my car and eat my sandwich. And I turned the heat on, turned the radio on, and I was eating my sandwich. And there was this radio show that was on something really silly. It wasn't like a profound show. They just happened to be asking people to call in who were over the age of 80 and talk about their biggest regrets. Wow. I mean, it was funny. Like, a lot of people were calling in, and and there was this one woman who said that she wished she would have slept with more men in her lifetime. And, you know, another person called in and said what they wish they had children. Yeah, I listened to like five or six of them and then it was time to go back to work. And I turned the radio off and I just like imagined that I was 80 years old and what my biggest regret would be. I just knew that um, if I didn't pursue art, I would be 80 and I would be very sad. Wow. So um, anyway... That day forward, I just had like this flame under my ass, so to speak. I mean, it was just like, I need to make an effort to make this work. You woke up. Maybe, but I never could go back to sleep. <laughs> you know, one of the things I learned as an engineer is to is to be a really good planner and to experiment in, in my own life and to figure out what works. Because a lot of times as, as an engineer, you know, You have like a goal that you have to reach and something you have to build, but you have no clue how to build it until you start piecing things together and trying things. So I had to kind of go through a planning phase where I was like, okay, how am I going to do this? You know, how am I going to make this work? How am I going to tell my parents, you know, that this is what I'm doing now? I had a period of time where my friends that I worked with as engineers were like, "Are, are you crazy? I mean, I had a, a wonderful job. I was working for Honeywell at this time. You know, great boss, great work crew, great 401k plans. So it was just crazy for me to leave. But I just felt like if I didn't at least try, I would be one of those people on the radio. So the planning period was hard because a lot of people thought I was crazy mm-hmm. and that I was giving up something for for like a a pipe dream and um, I told my parents and I remember my mom said to me she's like it's okay honey your dad and I knew that you weren't really an engineer (laughs) we always knew you were an artist and they were probably the most supportive that I think I've ever seen them be (laughs) so how old were you when you had this moment the sandwich day 
Uh, so the sandwich in the car day, I was almost 30. At that time, I also had two children. So I had two young boys. And, you know, one of the things that had been kind of stewing inside of me is I didn't like not being with them while they were young. Mm -hmm. And, you know, working as an engineer, I had regular, you know, hours. And essentially, my kids were, you know, going to daycare and parents and while I was working. So I really wanted to have something where I could spend more time with them. So Mm -hmm. that was something too that was weighing heavy on me. And one of the great things about finally making the leap to being an artist was that I could have flexible hours and they could come with me to go take photographs downtown and go to museums and do research and Mm -hmm. they could do a lot of stuff with me, which unfortunately has, I think, kind of shaped them into two boys that don't want to have anything to do with museums right now. But, you know, it was that moment that I decided that I had been kind of pushing that part of me aside and I needed to pursue it. So I came up with a plan. I actually came up with a business plan. And what did the business plan look like? Well, I searched for, I tried to search for similar businesses and use that as a template. And the closest thing I could find, and of course, at that time in my life, I didn't really know anyone that was an artist that was making a living. So it was kind of an experiment. I took the template business plan of a toy maker. Mm because that was the closest thing that I thought I could find to being an artist because you're, you know, you're making things and you're selling them at retail. So um, I kind of manipulated it. I had like this goal of how I was going to start building a clientele, building a gallery uh, network and selling work. And, you know, it it started working out kind of the way as, as I planned. I started just really creating and putting stuff out there and making connections. I did a lot of work with community building projects and charities. And that was a great way to um, really just make new connections and find people that were interested in what I was doing. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the first step. I had always sort of had a canvas and like a drawing table with things on it at all times, even when I was working as an engineer. And I had also been painting in spare time, which, you know, as a mother of two kids, it's not a lot, but it wasn't so much of the creating part that I was worried was the problem to be solved. It was, okay, how am I going to be able to make a living and support my family and also be able to do this? And so that was really where the plan came in. And, you know, it has changed many times and my plan now is totally different than it was then. But I I think I'm a nice mixture of a dreamer and a scientist in that way like I have this ability to think anything's possible and then sit down and think okay how am I gonna do it after maybe several years I realized this is this is really gonna work and I was able to have a regular clientele and I at that time really needed the money that I was making to live off of it became essential for me to provide for my family So I began doing portraits and commissions and taking on several other genres of work just to make ends meet. One of my biggest heroes and the artist that I really am inspired by is Monet. 
and the Impressionist. And I always felt like I could, I could portray my city through an artist's eyes and create these moments that would, that would, that would immortalize St. Pete through an artist's eyes. So I had a cityscape vein that I worked on regularly and that provided me freedom to paint the things I wanted to paint, but also income because there was a, a demand for those. And figurative drawings, I, I'm very intrigued by the figure, so I did figure drawings and I had a following for those. I also did portraits and then I sort of had my own creative stuff that I would do, uh, which was, I would consider a more um, expressionistic, surreal genre. And that's kind of what I, I do a lot of today. I just did. So I'm, I'm, I'm just want to let in the people who are listening. So you held up a couple of paintings. One is what looks like a young girl on a ledge, but very safely, and overlooking some mountains in a canyon, perhaps? Yes. And the other is also a young girl. Um, it almost, there's a tornado behind her and an ocean and sharks and she's, her hair is spinning and she's sort of, she has her hands on two sides of her head. This genre of work, it's usually inspired by, you know, some experience that I've had. And primarily I found that I am most inspired sometimes in moments of distress because I'm always looking for something to make me feel better or a solution. And sometimes an image will pop in my head that creates I kind of a hero for me to be. Mm-hmm. And I think that this particular image that you were just describing, you know, I had just had this crazy day where it felt like the weirdest crap was happening to me and it was so distracting and I had deadlines and you know this image popped in my head of just this woman trying to focus amidst complete chaos right right. so um this woman in the painting is trying to focus even though there's you know there's a cyclone and there's sharks and I know it's absurd but you know sometimes you feel like somebody is trying to like make you miss your deadline or and it's like god what is happening here right so it was just one of those days and there's also you know some symbolism there's a butterfly being toppled by the wind it's like things that you think or that you love or just being you know blown out of reach and destroyed and then she's also it's hard to see this but i a lot of times i put little easter eggs or things in my paintings that mean something to me and i don't know if anyone notices them but she has a small peppermint stuck in her hair. And that's like, of all the stuff that's happening, that's like the one thing, that's like the tiny thing, the, the straw that, you know, broke mm. the camel's back. But mm. so, yeah, that's just an example of just trying to, trying to define an experience. And I think that a lot of times it's hard for me to express things in words, but it's easier for me to express them in paint. And Edward Hopper said one time, if I could say it, I wouldn't have to paint it. And I feel like that all the time. In your artist statement, you use the phrase shards of reality. And going back to the the paintings we were just discussing, and you said this sort of a surreal approach sometimes. I think that whenever I am really painting and letting letting my emotions come through onto canvas. I feel like all of my paintings are based on reality, but the shards of reality, meaning 
maybe the more extreme versions of whatever I'm I'm dealing with at that time in terms of I guess the best way I could explain it is you know associating reality with uh, emotion and a lot of times I have a vision of something that feels like reality only much either scarier or much better and that is thrown into the painting as well. Well, you also said in the artist statement about your work, it's the artistic equivalent of a solved equation. Yeah, I guess everything sort of seems like an equation sometimes to me. I think we're all trying to make something work the way that we want it to. I, I feel like paintings, you know, are these sort of way for me to express feelings and solve them and solve sort of that emotion that I'm feeling. In terms of electrical engineering, RF is probably the most, in, in, in many ways, organic because, you know, you're dealing with with waves and signals and and lots of things can happen. It's, it's not exactly an exact science. Mm. There's a lot of strange patterns and shapes that take place in space. And I think of all of the different sort of genres that I could have went into in electrical engineering, like more towards, you know, logic or, you know, more of the uh, software design and, mm -hmm, and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. I feel like RF was always sort of the taboo because it takes a lot of ability to see in three dimensions. Um, a lot of, you know, signals in space are three-dimensional. Mm -hmm. They're not going through wires. You know, antenna design, antennas make beautiful shapes, mm. you know, mm. beautiful patterns in space. And a lot of times capturing signals in space takes a lot of imagination. You've got these organic waves going from one point to another. And, and, and not just that, but learning about wavelengths in general really kind of ties very much into metaphysics. Really thinking of, of life as being waves and emitting waves and wavelengths and attracting things into your life and you can you can really take metaphysics and look at it in a very scientific way nikola tesla tesla was very metaphysical and he really his his imagination was so vital in all of his experimentation and he really believed in and really vibrations that you could use with your mind, your body, and your intentions. So I think that it ties in a lot to artwork, maybe not necessarily the organic aspect of painting, but sort of the themes behind everything. Mm -hmm. Of course, you have a mural that's very well known in St. Petersburg area that features Tesla. So that was a part of the First Shine Festival. And at the time, that building was called Genius Central. It was a business that sort of had incubator offices for all kinds of startups, and it was really focused on the genius of being creative. And when I was asked to do that, I put together a couple concepts, and I just thought, you know, who is the, the greatest genius that I know? And, and to me, it was Tesla. And I wasn't sure that anyone else would know who Tesla was. And it just so happened that 
the business owner at that time was in the Navy and majored in electrical engineering. Mm. Fortunately, he was a big fan and the Tesla mural made it. And it's been a much bigger hit than I ever had imagined. I think it's really made people curious about who that is. And Can you talk about some of the elements of that mural? Yeah, one of the challenges of, of putting together a mural is you're working around you know, sometimes windows and air conditioning units and that kind of thing. One of the things I love about that mural, when I was sketching it out, I had I had drawn out kind of a template of the building with the windows and where everything was. And whenever I drew out Tesla's face, you know, the window kind of went right into his brain. Mm. And it just seemed really fitting because inside of that building, there was all of these great things that were being construed and worked on. And, you know, similar to Tesla and his own brain, he actually just used to sit for hours and run the experiments through his head. He would step by step imagine what would happen in his head before he would actually run them. So in my mind, you know, at night, whenever the mural was twilight and you could still see the mural, but you could see the lights in the building, it symbolized sort of these light bulbs or like these ideas that were happening. And aside from the windows that exist, there's also these floating boxes mm-hmm. that have lights in them that sort of symbolize the, the, the boxes of ideas that mm-hmm. are in his head. There's also a couple of inventions and patents that he had. They're kind of sporadically throughout the mural and then there's kind of this sine wave that goes through, which of course symbolizes wavelengths. And then so Tesla, in his hand, he's holding the sphere. And the sphere was actually Tesla's favorite object. Mm-hmm. Uh, he talks about it a lot. He references it a lot in his experiments. And there was actually a golden sphere that was put on Tesla's grave. The, the sphere that he is holding is, you know, symbolic of, of his legacy. And within the sphere, even though there's a reflection of what's in front of it, which is, I think, the clay center and the dome and a car, the car is a Tesla, which ah. actually uses some of the information that Tesla passed on to us. And then also um, there's a cell phone transmit tower that's in the reflection. There's several... Uh, power lines, which are actually there and they're also reflected. So I know people think that Thomas Edison was the inventor of AC electricity, but it actually was not. It was Tesla. So there's kind of like this visionary ball that he's holding, which not only is the sphere that he loved, but also his inventions manifest. And then around the corner, there's another mural, same building. Yeah, um, that mural is Little Miss Sisyphus, and that was done at the same time, almost directly after the Shine Festival. And, And a lot of pieces like this are always kind of wrapped around going through some sort of obstacle that I'm facing. And... At that time, I felt like I was um, dealing with some challenges because I was female. I also recently had a friend whose little girl was, she was skating around the studio in roller skates and we were having like a little cookout and my kids were there and I have two boys. And my boys were being really annoying and they were like whining about being there. And I made a comment to them, I said, I said, why don't you get some skates on? I was like, are you going to let a girl out skate you? And then I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I just said that. 
And it was just this ingrained feeling that, you know, they were supposed to like do something better than her, outdo her. And I am so, I mean, I feel like I embody feminism in so many ways, but I just came out of my mouth. Yeah. yeah. And it was like this deep seated, like thing that I had heard all my life with my brother. Like when I would go running and my dad would go, you're going to let a girl beat you, you know? And it was, so, um, you know, I was going through this sort of feeling of being held back as a woman. And then I also myself was generating this, like, you know, horrible speak towards women. And I just, like, had this image pop into my head. And that's how the Little Miss Sisyphus mural was born. She is this young girl. And, and, you know, one of the things I realized when I saw this girl skating around the studio, uh, she's raised by a mother who is very independent. You know, this girl does not feel like she is incapable of anything. And I thought, you know, it's her generation. Like, it's her generation. She's going to be the one to, like, throw that weight off the cliff. And so, like, in the, in the just... image, you know, there's a cliff. Right. And she is so close to just not having to carry that weight anymore. And she Looks doesn't like... actually have skates in this, oh. but that was like the that was the spark of yeah. the story. And this arrow at the top sort of symbolizes the male symbol. And so as it falls, it will break off and just kind of become mm-hmm. a neutral ball. And this cross at the bottom that's like a root is the female symbol. And this basically symbolizes that comment that I made because even though I'm a woman, I'm still, I still have those feelings, you know, and that sort of collective feeling that women are, are still not able to be, be the same. And so that's kind of that root that's making it heavier for her, but she's almost there. I feel like out of challenges comes beauty a lot of times. And so like inside this visionary ball is there's a, an image of the Emerald City. Yeah. Yeah. Really, if I were to paint what was really there, it would be a bunch of warehouses <laughs> with chain link fence. And at the time that I was painting this, that was in the process of becoming the arts exchange. And I felt like, okay, well, it just looks like a warehouse, but it's actually going to be something much greater than that someday. And so a lot of times when I paint the balls, they're really about vision and creating a vision that will someday become the future. My studio is in the Arts Exchange. The Arts Exchange, it is a place within the Warehouse Arts District that is owned by the Warehouse Arts District nonprofit group. And it was established primarily to maintain the arts community in a stable place where it can afford to exist. Uh, A lot of times, Once you move into a space and the area starts to become full of creative energy, the rents go up and then it's time to move again. Because, you know, the business of art is hard. It is hard to maintain a creative business and pay top dollar for space. And you don't really need a a really nice space to create art. Uh, At least I don't. I I need a dirty warehouse with good sunlight Mm -hmm. and ventilation. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so the Arts Exchange, I think there's currently about 35 studios, artist studios that are online. That's a lot of studios. 
and more that are being built right now. It's basically stabilized rent so that regardless of how many restaurants or bars or art walks there are and hype and to do, the rents will not go up. So that is the premise behind the arts exchange. It has been a blessing because every day when I go to work, I'm surrounded by creative energy and other artists. And when I get to work, I feel like I'm with my tribe. This is a piece that I just finished. It's still wet. A young girl standing at the edge of a cliff looking out at the canyon. This is actually a picture of a friend of mine who is a little bit older than me. She went on a trip to the Grand Canyon and she was with a friend who took this photograph. This was actually many years ago that she went and I asked her if I could have the photograph to maybe someday do a painting with because something about it, I think the way she's standing and the colors. I'm a huge fan of N.C. Wyeth, who is actually Andrew Wyeth's father. And N.C. Wyeth did these beautiful paintings of primarily landscapes, but very fantasy and surreal. I did a lot of book covers. And he uses these oranges and these blues. And so it kind of reminded me, the, the colors in the picture reminded me of that. One of the things I did with this piece, and like I, I said earlier, you know, Easter eggs are something that I do a lot. And this piece has sort of a hidden message. She's looking over this, this canyon, it's the Grand Canyon. And within the canyon, within the shadows of the canyon is actually the world, a sort of a world map. Mm -hmm. And so I manipulated the shadows to look like the world. And the piece is called uh, Wild World. She is sort of on the precipice of maybe change or maybe looking at, at the world and how it's both beautiful and dangerous mm. and wondering how close she wants to get. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So now is that how large is that piece? Uh, so this piece is um, pretty large. It's about 50 inches tall and about 40 inches wide. So that's not as large as you paint though. You... No, I, I do a lot of very large work. A lot of my paintings are, some of them eight foot high. I do a variety of sizes. The larger paintings that I do, I think it just kind of depends on the subject matter. These pieces that we just talked about, I think the woman with the sharks and this one, and the, they're all similar size because I can usually finish them in a reasonable amount of time because of so much detail that they have in them. And I don't like working a really long time on one piece. So a lot of the bigger pieces that I do, they, they might look kind of realistic when you see small little images of them. But whenever you really get close to them, they're very quick. I do them pretty quick. And so like even the Tesla mural in terms of, of hashing it out, probably took a similar amount of time as this piece because it's so mm -hmm. loose and if you went up to it you'd see the drip marks and the splash marks and it only works because you're you know 40 feet away or so it kind of depends how specific you want to get in your technique yeah it really does and then i do a lot of smaller pieces which really stemmed from working from life a lot my husband and i ran a drawing session for many years where we had a live model come in and people from the community would come draw and sketch and so i started painting from life during that time and learning to paint really quickly 
because you really only have like 30 minutes for a model, which is where the Blue Nude series started. Really painting from life. So no drawing, just take just the colors. Just straight on and... painting. And, you know, it's one of those things where during a session we might get like five poses and maybe I'd get one good good painting and the rest would just go to the sander to get sanded off. <laughs> And um, a really interesting thing happened was we kept the lights really dim during the drawing classes. So a lot of times I couldn't see the colors because I paint during the day mostly with the natural light. I would really just use value to paint and not really pay attention to the colors. And so the next day when I would come in and I would look at them, you know, in the regular light, it was like, wow, I, I would have never used that color, but <laughs> I, you know. So it gave me this, it gave me kind of a new way of, of using color and painting. And the blue came from, I had an assistant and one day she really didn't have anything to do and I was paying her $10 an hour. So I told her to go ahead and paint up a bunch of panels out of this leftover blue that I had from an aquarium job that Mark and I had worked on. So I had all of these blue panels in the studio, and one of the things about working quickly from life is I really didn't, I was trying to save time and not have to paint a background color. And I loved the way the flesh looked on the blue background so much that now I actually had a special batch of the blue made that is wow. exactly that same color that I use for my blue nude series. So sort of a happy accident. Yeah, it was totally a happy accident. I love painting. I don't know how long that will last. I've, I've heard that someday I'm gonna poison myself <laughs> through just because I use I use toxic paint and oh. usually that's, I don't know, I'm gonna keep doing it as long as I can. And you know, I've also bought a servo kit. It's a, sort of a, a mobile mechanical device that you can program. And a lot of artists are playing around with making kinetic art out of servos and so, that's kind of been on the back of my in the back of my mind for the future, maybe working with Mark on something that I can program that is in motion mm -hmm. that maybe he can sculpt or very cool someday. All right, well, thank you so much. I've been talking to Carrie Jadis. Really enjoyed this conversation and I appreciate you being here. Thank you for having really me. I'm, I'm very honored. Thank you. I'm Barbara St. Clair, and you've been listening to Arts In, the Creative Pinellas podcast, sponsored in part by the Pinellas County Board of County Commissioners. Visit St. Petersburg Clearwater and the State of Florida Department of Cultural Affairs. Arts In is produced by Matt and Sheila Cowley. And if you're enjoying this program, we hope you'll take a moment to give us a review. It's easy to subscribe to on your favorite podcast service. You can find more conversations with visual, literary, and performing artists and in-depth arts journalism at creativepinellas.org. Thank you for listening.